We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. This is your Thursday, March 23rd episode. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we got big news. As you know, your Cleveland Browns have made a trade, and not the trade you were expecting, but certainly not a trade that you should have been blindsided by, if we're being honest. Your Browns went out and made a trade for Elijah Moore, a player a lot of us liked coming out of Ole Miss. If you pay attention to Brown's draft circles were really high on this guy coming out of Ole Miss in 2021. An absolutely stacked wide receiver class. I mean, 21 and 22 wide receiver classes were insane. He wasn't in the Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith group for a lot of people, but he was certainly in the Kadarius Tony, Rashad Bateman group, right? Because those two, Tony going uh, 20 to New York, and then Rashad Bateman going 27 to pick after the Browns at 26 uh, to, to Baltimore. Uh, Moore was scooped up on the second pick of the second round, pick 34. And and obviously, listen, it was a guy a lot of us liked and a guy a lot of us thought that the Browns were sort of hell-bent on taking a receiver. It was like the group there was, you know, Tony Bateman and, and, and Elijah Moore. The next wide receiver wasn't picked until Rondale Moore, pick 49 by the Cardinals. And, and again, these were guys with a lot of, you know, niche stuff that you really liked. And it was really a pick-your-flavor scenario. And I wasn't surprised at the way it unfolded. I think Kadarius Tony was a bit of a surprise for a lot of people, but... Uh, basically, I think probably the way his career has played out now, ending up in Kansas City being traded, uh, both of these guys traded. I think you're trying to figure out what gives them the ability to stick long-term, right? That's what you're getting into, guys, late first round. You're looking at traits, and you look at Elijah Moore, there are a lot of traits. He, he was on the small side. That's the reason he slips out of the first round uh, at five nine and a half, one seventy eight, 178. Strong, 17 bench reps, which is really good, and everything else is strong. He had good explosion, 36-inch vertical, a 10-foot broad, the 40-yard dash at 4.35 was really good. 20-yard split was really good. But what was the most impressive was the agility grade, elite, elite agility stuff. A four shuttle right there with Jackson Smith and Jigba, who came out the, coming out this year. Obviously, uh, the praise of the of the whole group in terms of the elite guys who can who can change direction. Three cone, 6.65, also really elite. So that's the stuff you liked, right? So it was really just deciding what role you thought he fit and whether you liked him enough to take him or not. And the Browns preferred a corner at that time. 
certainly wanted to pair that uh, corner with um, you know Denzel Ward, but but it would have been easy to see them take Elijah Moore. So we see this come full circle. The trade comes today. Uh, the Browns ship pick 42 over to the Jets in return for a couple things. You get more, and they also get back pick 74. Now, here's what you might like. I mean, that is to not give up a pick, and and I think uh, I think a large part of what you're dealing with with Jerry Judy and the discourse or whatever was happening between those two teams, who knows how serious that really got, but the Browns were giving up a pick as well. Like, this is a swap. So what's exciting is the framework of this whole thing, right? So, like... Obviously, moving down from 42 to 74 has a lot of you know point value on the charts. There's different charts you can use. There's the Jimmy Johnson chart, which is pretty old. There's the more updated PFF, which is the FS chart. We'll hear Jack Duff and talk about that a little later. It's funny. We hear we hear Scott Mason, who we, who we bring on from the Jets in just a minute, talk about it too. If you want to make yourself feel better, you'll look at the point char- chart system and say, well, the Browns essentially gave up a third-round pick of value to go get Elijah Moore, right? To drop back from 42 to 74. Uh, you'll hear other people on the other side of it, the FS chart will say, well, the Browns actually only gave up the value of a sixth round pick. It's just, it's all over the place. Ben Baldwin actually uh, put something out today about, uh, I think he equated it to like a mid fourth round pick is what the value of dropping 42 to 74. But again, you can think of it a different way. We've been talking in nauseam about this whole 42 to 98 long drop off. Well, if you were pretty much in the park that the Browns are going to take a receiver, a lot of different types of receivers there at 42 potentially uh, because it's not a front-loaded class like there's not a bunch of big names like I said we saw in 21 and 22 so the run on wide receivers might be much later and I'm just worried about who would be there at 42 not that you couldn't find a good one but nonetheless if you frame this in your mind as essentially the Browns selected Elijah Moore at 42 and then just were able to acquire a third round pick uh, pick 74 back you can see why this makes a ton of sense, and this is a similar thing, uh, not totally similar, but but the, it's clearly an angle the Browns want to take, which is we want to swap picks, and the swap pick and get a player is an extremely exciting thing. I mean, you can see easily how this works out for the Browns. A player they liked in draft evaluations they were unable to get, you know, it's, it's a young, promising player on a rookie deal. We're going to talk all about the contract stuff here in just a minute with Jack Duffin as well, a part of this podcast, to go through the finite details of the contract, but you can easily see what their upside player bad system in New York, bad quarterback play, weren't using him properly, renewed energy spirit, all that stuff. The Jets, on the other hand, they signed McCole Hardman today, which that was a whole weird fiasco if you were paying attention. It comes out like Jeremy Fowler tweets, the Jets are signing um, McCole Hardman, and, and then the second sentence was like adding more speed to the Cleveland offense. And it was like, okay, so he clearly had a draft written up uh, for Hardman that included the Browns, and he just didn't update. And it left everybody so confused. But, I mean, it wasn't an hour later. I don't even know the time frame. I think it was inside of an hour after the Hardman decision became out. It, it was probably an hour. I'm, I'm, again, losing track of time. Uh, the, the, this trade gets announced. So I'm not sure the domino was Hardman situation, or maybe Hardman's camp heard that the Browns were pushing hard uh, to get the Moore deal done, or who knows. I, I, maybe we'll get a written piece on the domino effect of all that stuff, but the timing is rather peculiar but the question you should all be asking, and what we're trying to investigate here, is not necessarily the Brown side. I think it's pretty easy to see the Brown side justification. Pick him at 42. That's our wide receiver. Now we get pick 74. Before pick 98, we didn't give up any picks. We still have eight picks. A lot of good can come. And again, reminder, like the Browns traded back to what, 68 last year, I think, off the top of my head, Martin Emerson. So this is really not that much different. I mean, they're not accumulating picks like they did with the Emerson trade, but it's not like they 
last year's draft was some they they picked so much earlier. Well, they didn't. Uh, they they moved back into the third round, and a lot of people were disappointed. And that ended up working out okay. So you can still get some talented players at this spot, uh, and we'll be doing a lot of research into that. But from the Jets side, and I think the fair question everybody should be asking is, how the hell do you get here, right? How the hell do you get here as an organization with him? And what what again is seemingly a talented player. I think you come to this podcast to understand the Browns on a deeper level. At least I hope so. That's what I am always trying to do. I, I give you frame of reference. Some people think I'm too negative. Some people think I'm too positive. I'm sure some of you think I'm an idiot. Some of you might think I'm smart. Whatever, whatever. I do my best to try to give different points of view on this stuff. And you'll hear every year before the season starts, I do it with Jordan Zern. We do a what could go wrong pod, right? Because everything that happens for your team, now, some scar tissue could gather up over the years and make you a little bit more pessimistic, which is understandable given the nature of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, most people are very optimistic. They're going to be great. This is what they did. They're upgraded. This is how it's going to work out. We all look for the, the best of the best. The, the, the root of the word fanatic, right, uh, is a fan. We're always looking to be obsessed with how the team is going to be better. Better, better, better. Things are going to work out. Well, I like to try to understand both sides of this whole thing. So what I'm investigating for you and trying to come up with an answer to is well, why is the production not great? If Elijah Moore is the quarter, the, you know, the wide receiver we think he is, you know, he should be producing, right? He only had, if you look at his statistics over his first two years, he had uh, 74 targets, 43 catches, 538 yards and five touchdowns his rookie year. And then only 37 catches on 59 targets for 446 and one touchdown last year. So what happened? Why are we here? That's the very fair and valid question when you think about everyone wants to stay with the Browns fleeced them. They did a great deal. This is awesome. Well, why are we here? And I think that investigation is going to be what the opening of this podcast is about, talking to Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet, who will give us some real insight into what he thinks of Elijah Moore and the reasoning, right? Why would they do this? Why now? What could be behind it? We could figure out more of this in the coming days, but in the immediate aftermath of the trade, I think it's important to investigate some of the other organizations' perspective of why. And it's not just as simple as the Jets are getting rid of a bad player, bad person. Like, it doesn't always go that way. How many teams, uh, sorry, how many players have you seen the Browns let go over the years who just get flushed out of the organization because of giving up on them too soon and they go on to thrive at other places? That very much could be what happens here. But I think to get to the root of all of this, we have to dig in a bit more with somebody who knows him better, right? Uh, like Scott and those who spent time studying more really closely for a couple years, get a feel for it because there is no one better at this stuff than the guys who spent every day covering that organization, covering the player, covering the drama, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I want to get Scott's opinion. So let's get over to that interview right now. Scott Mason joins us. Scott, how are you, sir? Hey, Jake. Good to talk to you again, man. It's funny because I figured the next time we would talk, it would be during the season when the Jets and Browns are playing each other. But I guess those two teams had other plans because they did a little business. Well, listen, if we recall one of the, the NFL's more wild endings of any game this past year. So, you know, maybe there was some uh, some sympathy from the Jets side that we we feel bad about how we took this game from the Browns in Cleveland. I don't know what's going on here, but Scott, listen, Scott does play like a jet uh, podcast, daily podcast. Great stuff. Make sure you listen to that. If you care about perspectives around the NFL, uh, I think he does as, as well as anybody in the jets market. So uh, when this cat, when this happened, I wanted to link up with him and talk about it. There's the, the big question is this Scott. Um, what, why on earth? Let's, let's be careful with how we start this. 
talk to me first about w- what you think of him as a player. What you, you, when you when you watched Elijah Moore, I know that it's been rocky, it's been up and down, but I think it seems like there's a faction of Jets fans who are like, this guy's underutilized. I can't figure out why they can't use him. There are people that point to the numbers with and without Zach Wilson uh, and how they kind of pop without him. But the numbers have not backed up the film because, listen, I love this guy. The Browns took Greg Newsom in the first round, but I would have been more than happy with them taking him in that mm-hmm. 21 draft at, at pick 20, 26. You guys take him pick 34. And I know that there were some big moments of excitement here, but it never quite came together. We'll start with the question, like I said, what, what is he on the football field to you? What did you like about him? What did you dislike about him? Well, Jake, you're a film guy. So I think when you go through and look at the film on Elijah Moore, what you're going to see is that he was open. A lot. Like, I mean, a lot. All the time, this guy was open. And the quarterbacks, especially Zach Wilson this past year, were not seeing him. And Mike LaFleur was not giving him design touches to try and make up for that. And I think that's a big part of what got him so frustrated, is that he felt like, here I am getting open all the time. This guy's not seeing me. And I'm in a league where, as a wide receiver, if I'm not putting up numbers, people aren't going to be digging into my tape and going, oh, yeah, I'm going to pay him $20 million a year because he was getting open. They're going to pay you $20 million a year because you're putting up big-time numbers, right? And so if you're a Jets fan and you're going back and watching the film, it was one of the most exasperating things on earth because even though Garrett Wilson did find a way to produce even with the bad quarterback play, it was so frustrating to go to the All-22 and time after time after time, there he was. You would pause the tape, wide open. There he is again, wide open. And it would just boggle your mind how more guys didn't see him. That game against Chicago with Mike White is where you saw him finally get the opportunities and he made the most of them, had the touchdown and everything. He's a player that really started to break out toward the end of his rookie year and then he got hurt. And it was sad because he was on a tear. I think he had like five games in a row where he was just eating guys up. There's one play, if you go back and watch the Jets. Do you mind me asking, Scott, if you remember that off the top of your head? Yeah, he got hurt a couple of games uh, with a couple of games left in the season, and he had been banged up a little bit in training camp and all that. I'm trying to remember what the injury was. Off the top of my head, I can't remember what the injury was. But yeah, yeah it looks he, like was, he didn't play after week 13. Is what I'm yes, noticing here. That was when he got hurt. But late in that season, he really started to cook. There's one game, Jake. You'll go back and you'll see it when they played the Dolphins. He just owned those guys. He was cooking. Both cornerbacks, uh, there was one against uh, uh, Byron Jones where he put this move on him and it looked like, I don't know if you remember Darren Williams when he was at his peak Mm -hmm. in the NBA and he would just do this crossover and make guys fall on their face. Byron Jones just (laughs) fell flat on his face. It was incredible. So on the field, the production didn't, I think you said it well, the production didn't match the tape and I don't really think that was Elijah Moore's fault because and I, I would love to hear when, when you go through the tape, please text me and let me know if you think I'm crazy. But when I went back and looked, I saw him open over and over and over again. And like I said, that was one of the biggest missed opportunities. And it was one of the things that to me, I was hoping the Jets would find a way to mend fences with him because then whoever the new quarterback is, whether it's Rodgers or somebody else, they'd be able yeah. to use utilize him better. And I mean, look, I think he could have been a 1,000-yard receiver if he were to stay healthy this year for the Jets. So I'm, I really am very sad to see him go. Uh, we can get into why and go through all of that because I'm sure you're going to ask me that next. But as, a, as far as, as a player, I think you guys, I mean, for the value you gave up, which is basically an early third-round pick, I love it. And it's funny, Jake, uh, last offseason, 
I really wanted the Jets to get Amari Cooper. And I thought Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore would have been a really awesome tandem. Well, now we'll get to see those two together. So we'll test my theory out and see how they do. I thought uh, Amari Cooper did fantastic for the Browns last year. And I think he and uh, Elijah Moore, if they stay healthy, could be one of the better duos in the league. Yeah, they you're you're right. Backtracking a little bit from that week, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 of his rookie year. Like here's the targets and catches six of six, seven of eight, three of five for 44 and a touchdown, eight of nine. in that Miami game, you're talking about 141 and a touchdown, four of eight, 46, six of 12, 77 and a score. And then he I looked it up. He got a, he had a quad injury that put him on the IR. So he missed that was it. Yep. the rest of that season. So this year, a lot of excitement. You're like, OK, he's breaking out. Right. You can see it happening here. He has that fantastic stretch uh, to end his rookie year, coming into the year, and and he looks like he started the season pretty hot again, right? He goes comes out of the gate five of seven, three for five. All of these games are right around fifty yards. Had a nice game against the Browns, where I thought a couple opportunities were missed where he was open. Uh, I even highlighted one of those routes today. Uh, has a has a mm-hmm. three for three against Pittsburgh for fifty three yards. Not you know, crazy involvement in terms of the production. But then there's that mid-season rip that there's the inactives and like his name was being floated on the trade deadline uh, as, as a potential get me out of here demanding a trade. So where does this where does this fall apart, right? Because the player you and I are talking about, and I think if you removed the homerism from this, because I try to go on other people's pods and talk about, you know, players, and it's very easy for teams who, who move a player to be like, that guy stunk. I don't even want him. Good luck with him. Right. But I think that's why I like talking to guys like you who can step back and objectively talk about it. But there is some risk here, right? So, like, walk us through, if you can, what – I mean, the OC, you guys have moved on from the OC. There's the Zach Wilson mm-hmm. stuff and the drama that was going on there. Is Elijah – was he perpetuating it? Was he – manufacturing it or was he like justified in a lot of people's eyes for feeling the way he felt so i think it kind of goes in two different directions right so essentially what happened was after the green bay game where i think he had no targets yeah he was really upset and apparently he made it known in the locker room how pissed off he was and then i think there was another game after that if i if memory serves where he had no targets and at that point He was getting really, really angry. And I think it was one of those things where he felt like the offensive coordinator wasn't game planning to him. It was all going to Garrett Wilson. And I think he also felt like in lieu of Zach Wilson being able to do anything, they could have given him design touches, design touches that they were giving to a much inferior player, namely Braxton Berrios. And so I think he like I said before, was of the mindset, you know, he had just watched his best friend, A.J. Brown, get paid a boatload of money. And he's thinking to himself, look at what I did last year. I was on the verge of a breakout. And now because I have this quarterback who can't see me, I have this offensive coordinator who refuses to game plan for me. I'm going to end up wasting away here. And there's going to be no opportunity for me to make the kind of money that I'm looking to make. And we all know, Jake, if we're being real, that these guys all have a very limited window in which to make money, especially guys like Elijah Moore, who rely so heavily on their speed to be a top-end threat. And so it all sort of boiled over. And then there was at one point, and this has been widely reported now, it was funny because at first, the, the story was that he had left practice to attend to a personal matter or something with his family. But then it came out that he was sent home And then it came out he was sent home because he had an outburst at practice in which he cursed out the offensive coordinator 
And then it was reported that he had requested a trade. And so the Jets didn't placate the trade demands. I believe they had set their asking price at either a first or a high second round pick and, and teams at the time weren't willing to pay it. And so they were, they had never intended to move him, but I think they felt like, okay, if you are willing to pay more than we think he's worth, then you know, we'll consider it. And so I think that's where it went wrong. And then obviously he had that good game against the Bears. Everything kind of quieted down a little bit. But then down the stretch of the season, he wasn't making noise per se, but you could see the same frustrations acting up. And so I think what may have happened here, I'm of two minds on this. And if it's the first thing I'm about to say, then I'll live with it, even though I don't like it. If it's the second thing I'm about to say, then I'm really not going to like it at all. The first thought I had was, well, I guess maybe they just felt like there was no mending fences with Elijah Moore. He probably still wanted to be traded. Took a look at the Alan Lazard acquisition, the talk about Odell Beckham, felt like he was going to get lost in the shuffle and wanted to go somewhere where he felt like he could potentially get more targets and all of that. The second part of this, and if this is what drove this, I really will not like it, is if they did this because they were looking to pick up an extra pick to use to trade for Aaron Rodgers. If that's why this was done or if that factored into this at all, I will not be happy in the least. But I think what happened here really is that, like I said, Elijah Moore understands that this is a league where you get paid for production. These wide receivers have exploded the last few years in terms of what they're making. I can't even imagine what Justin Jefferson is going to get. And so he wants to be in a place where he will have the opportunity to put up a thousand yards, to earn that $20 million or whatever it is. And he felt like with the Jets, with Zach Wilson, that was never going to happen. Now, if it's Rodgers or whoever else, that would have improved his chances, but maybe he never relented on the trade request that he made last year. And maybe he felt like with Rodgers coming in potentially and his favorite target, Lazard and, and Garrett Wilson, and like I said, maybe Odell Beckham or somebody, that he would be lost in the shuffle again. And so I think what this boils down to is there's a risk for the sense of we've now already seen that if, he, if things don't go his way, Elijah Moore has a tendency to potentially pout or make things bad. But also what I, I think is from your standpoint, you're getting a guy who has two years left on his rookie deal and is immensely talented. And I'm telling you, Jake, again, when you look at this tape, and you will, and you're, I respect your eye on the film a lot. I've told you that. You're one of my favorites in terms of guys that look at film for other teams. You're going to see, I think, what I'm saying, which is that he's open a ton. And if Watson bounces back to become anything close to the quarterback that he was before the suspension, between him and Amari Cooper and then uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones and, and guys like that, there's a real chance for him to be a big-time contributor for the Browns. And look, for the price of a high third-round pick, it, it could end up being a really great deal for you guys. So I, I think if I were a Browns fan, I'd be very happy about this transaction. And like you said, as a Jets fan, it would, be ever, it would be very easy for me to sit here and BS you and give you sour grapes. But I'm telling you what I believe is the truth based on what I know and what I've seen. And based on that, I think that he has a chance to be a really, really potent weapon for the Browns offense if Stefanski and the coaches use him properly. That is so well articulated, man, from every angle. And, and I think to your point, about you know if the if the rod if it's a piece of using whatever you use to make that Rodgers trade 
I certainly could see being really frustrated by that. But at the same time, and what we're talking about here in Cleveland with everything they gave up for Deshaun Watson, if you go get Aaron Rodgers and he takes you places you haven't been in a long time, you know what you won't even think about? The Elijah Moore pick. So I'm hoping the best for everybody that you guys can get the quarterback you need to take that roster, which I think is in a great place, adding McCole Hardman in to sort of take over that, alleviate that role left behind by Elijah Moore, and that Elijah Moore can go to Cleveland and be the best version of himself. That'd be the best for everybody. He is Scott Mason. He's fantastic. And uh, listen, we uh, at the OBR Film Breakdown can't thank you enough for giving us a little bit of your time tonight, man. Thanks again. Of course, Jake. Anytime, man. You know that I always love talking to you. And like I said, we'll see if the Jets and Browns do more business, which could happen. I'm sure we'll have an excuse to do another show. And either way, I'm sure we're going to do some crossovers when the Jets and Browns do battle in 2023, which I'm really looking forward to. So thank you so much for having me on. I hope that I helped Browns fans and particularly your audience learn a little bit more about Elijah Moore. But like I said, I really think this has a chance to be an outstanding acquisition for you guys. I think the Amari Cooper trade was tremendous. Uh, I think for the what they gave up, they got incredible value from him. And I think there's an opportunity for Elijah Moore to be a similar steal in value and to really help Deshaun Watson in his second year with the Browns. So I'm excited for you guys as much as I'm sad to see Elijah Moore go. We're pumped to have him. We're pumped that we, uh, you know, like I said, pumped that it could possibly work out for you guys to get the things that you need to get over the hill that's right there, very attainable. Again, he's Scott Mason. Thanks again, Scott. We will be right back, guys. Overall, really great stuff uh, from Scott there in terms of giving some perspective. And I didn't pick a Jets guest to particularly be positive from a Brown spin. We had no prep for that. It was just, hey, talk to me about these topics, your thoughts on the player, I remember him and I DM'd a little bit around the trade deadline because there was some buzz that the Browns could move Jack Conklin and the Jets were trying to figure out what they were going to do with Moore, who had requested a trade. And uh, he had mentioned uh, at that time, he said, there's no way they're moving more. So I, I, had a, I had an inkling that he did like Elijah Moore, but, but obviously he had some great things to say. There could be other Jets uh, media personalities who don't feel the same way about Moore, but I... Really wanted to get Scott on because I think he does a pretty fair and balanced job with his thoughts, analysis, and, and especially his podcast, which he does a really nice job of. The other angle of this whole operation I want to get a grasp of is how this impacts the Brown salary cap, how it impacts the future decisions in the wide receiver room. And, you know, when those things come about, and we're talking about a huge reasons the, that the Browns would go after a young, talented wide receiver is the benefits of that cheap two years of a rookie deal he has remaining. So Jack Duffin, who does unparalleled work in the Cleveland market, that's why I brought him to the OBR uh, in terms of looking at, analyzing, projecting, and, and, and always having an eye on, on the salary cap and how it pertains to decisions your Browns make. Uh, I, I had Jack on last week on Ask the OBR where we talked through several different contracts, uh, the bigger ones, Okoronkwo, Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, we are going to have an update refresher with some of the other guys that we have not gotten to dig deep on, but today's news with Moore was too much to not have this discussion built around Moore. We will get more of Jack's time and talk about some of the more fringe signings, the guaranteed money for those guys, so on and so forth. But with Moore, I think there's huge ramifications for not only the Browns staying where they're at, keeping flexibility here, but there's two key wide receivers that we'll talk about here that have an immediate impact in the coming years. So uh, real quick, before we get over to Jack, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jack Duffin in the house. What's up, buddy? How are you? Oh, just absolute buzzing. Um, it, 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 it felt like it was like, are you done? Is it going to be Judy? Is it going to be Goodwin? And then Andrew Barry was like, nah, I'm doing something completely different. He, he certainly threw us for a loop. There was a lot of smoke on Jerry Judy, right? We've talked about it, uh, which feels like for sort of a week now, uh, going back and forth on looking at other free agents coming and going, right? Talked about this before we, you know, earlier in the pod here, a lot of this stuff, but like, it felt like this snuck up on us. Not that we haven't been interested in Elijah Moore and like in season, some of us were connecting Elijah Moore to the Browns and all of that stuff, but it felt really cool to see like, Oh, Nicole Hardman's gone. The funny thing is the confusion to that. And uh, all of that ties into the, the time. It wasn't Pelissero. He got it right. It was Jeremy Fowler. that got it wrong. He, he kind of connected the two, but anyway, um, talk to me quickly. I think this is important because I want to really get your financial angle on this. A couple different things. We'll start with the financial side of why this trade is important, right? You might say, and I talked about about this a, a few minutes ago. Again, he's pretty similar to Brandon Cooks in terms of like young player, athleticism, score, all of that. But there's a reason you go get more here and not Brandon Cooks. Hit us on the biggest reason. Yeah, so we'll just explain the contract that the Browns are taking on, and it is crazy low. So we're talking 1.5 million in 2023 and 1.9 million effectively in 2024. And that's it. Can't even extend him this year because he's only had two rookie years. You've got to finish the third. And if we compare that to like your Cooks, your Hopkins, you're talking 35 million um, over two years, if not slightly more for Hopkins if he wants an extension in that. And even people are like, oh, I wish we'd have got Bucker instead. Well, that's 40 million over two years. You're talking about you're literally paying nothing for this guy. And that's the really key part of this. And it's why I've said, hey, none of these big trades made sense. But Judy and um, Moore, I kind of get because you're acquiring someone that is cheap. Um, and it's, it's the difference between that guy and like a, a UDFA you brought on. Like Isaiah Weston is basically the same price 
And that is just nuts in its own right. The huge part of this is, and I, I tweeted it a little bit ago, and I'm not the only one to talk about it, but the ability to take the situation at hand, right? So heading into the off season of deciding in 2022, are you going to keep Baker Mayfield? Or are you going to trade him? Right. At that point, they had nothing at receiver. They really didn't. They, they, the Odell experiment ended. They, they moved on from him. Jarvis was obviously moving on. Richard Higgins moving on. It was the, the semi promise of Donovan Peoples Jones and that's it. And they were able in now two years with this trade in the Cooper trade to essentially do this, get Amari Cooper, um, Elijah Moore, and a third round pick for a second and a fifth, which is bananas to think about when you, when you sit down and process it, because the thing that people don't understand Jack is how hard it is when, you know, what were we talking about going into 2022 draft before the Watson decision, man, these we're sitting at pick. What was it? 12. These wide receivers, man, are like month. Like you got Drake London, you got Garrett Wilson, you got Chris Olave. Now, ironically, they all ended up going before, the Browns would have actually had to move up to get one of them. But like we were all figuring out how do they get better at wide receiver? And that happens, doesn't work out, right? Um, the trade happens, they can't get a wide receiver. So how do you get one? Well, it took a creative trade. Now, again, it happened before the draft, but it, even before the Watson trade, um, they, they had to get creative to get one. And they did a great job of it. And it seems like they're doing that again here. Now, not that there's not some risk, which we'll talk about um, some of the stuff with more here a little bit. But what you like is that he's so cheap and you're you're obviously paying not for past production here you're paying for the, the the promise of what he could potentially come because they didn't give up much in this trade jack when you think about it i mean they slid the, like people are like oh it's tough to give up picks you didn't give up a pick you just moved back so essentially like what you gave up the gap between uh, 42 and 74 what does that equal out to in certain in terms of like if you did a raw pick what does that equal out to yeah and it's like it's just to Put it into perspective. When the trade happened, I was like, "Oh, that's pick ninety-eight. That that's literally where I expected it to be." I thought, "Hey, that that yeah. that's the true value." So we've got there's two different draft boards people use. So we'll start with the old school one. This was invented by Jimmy Johnson, old Cowboys GM, right back in the day. So it's outdated. Doesn't understand the value of like rookie picks because obviously that's come on since, and that is such a value when these guys are on dirt cheap. So if we go all the way back there. It's effectively pick 66 they gave up in the trade. So I prefer not to use that one. And most teams, especially the analytically leaning ones, your Quezies, your Eagles, your Browns, they're not using that trade chart. But it is one that some teams still use. The analytics one, so it's the Fitzberger, uh, Fitzgerald Spielberger trade chart, um, which is over the cap PFF guys. Um, it's an analytic leaning one, which is very much what the Browns will use. Effectively, they gave it up pick 211. So we're talking about a sixth round pick, nothing. Um, and I think that really just drives value. The, the Cooper one wasn't a surprise it being a fifth because we're talking about a guy they were going to cut in a couple of days if they didn't do that trade. So it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that was capitalizing on the mistakes of a roster structure with the Cowboys, right? They couldn't afford it because of the Zeke contract. And now look where we're at a full year later. This felt like... Correct me if I'm wrong, Jack. This is nothing financially. This is a roster construction, offense construction issue to me. Yeah, uh, they must have phoned up Aaron Rodgers. Probably going to end up as their, their QB and gone, who do you want? And then they just go into that. It, it makes very little sense um, for why they would give him up so low. And people look at it, oh, it's 30 picks back. But 
it, all we've heard, and I know you've discussed it on this podcast, of all that value in everyone's like, oh, 30 to pick sort of 70, there, there's a lot of feeling that that's a very flat part of the draft where you're going to get similar players. You might not get Josh Downs, but you're going to get really good wide receivers or other talent there. And it just opens up a, a whole world of possibilities that I know we, we've discussed it before. If they went and got a Judy, a Hopkins, a Cooks, Amari Cooper was gone after this year. It was a done deal. Yeah, that's a part to discuss. So you just said it. The last part before we wrap up here on the financial side. When you're looking at more and you're looking at projecting the future, that's that's what we do here. You know, that's what you're so good at and what we brought you the OBR to do and you continue to crush is like, okay, this trade. Okay, if they would have traded for Hopkins or Cooks, that had they're good players, but that had ramifications in, in absorbing those contracts had ramifications for their creativity to, to have used them long down the line, right? You don't have that right now. You have these two cheap $1 million, $1 million ish and some change years. Only thing I wish that he was picked 34th. I wish he was picked 32 so we could get that fifth year. Wouldn't that be lovely? But that's our only complaint. But um, I think that what we should be asking is what does the future look like? So you had mentioned that if they had gone out and gotten a veteran, it was hard to see Cooper staying. So what implications does this have on, I think we would agree that, that in general Cooper's a 23 and now maybe 24 guy. DPJ is where I think it gets the most interesting Jack, because you know, we're, thought of and again we got to see what his number he ends up requesting is and where that all shakes out to we could end up trying to sell he asked for something that's far less who knows but in general the thought was he's gone too and I think if he continues to get better and has another really good year you start to look at the future of this and you say okay you know we can stomach paying Cooper and Donovan again the first year of Donovan's extension because we're still paying Elijah $1 million. If they give him another deal, right, if they give a next contract and more, that wouldn't kick in until 25. Am I right about that? Yeah, so what I'd probably expect now happens is Cooper probably does the last two years of his deal, um, and then they let him go because, hey, by that point, he's about 31, yeah, 31. so it kind of yeah. makes sense. DPJ, I'm expecting to get paid in June, July time, so it's a year early, because if he had a great year, suddenly that price could continue to rise. Yeah. So if you could I get think, him like seven, eight, something. I mean, you could if you could try to. Like, I think it's going to be ten, eleven. If I would love, I would. So you're good with ten, eleven. I would love them to try to get their foot in the door, eight and a half, nine, by saying we'll pay you early because there's still risk on Donovan's side. If he turns that down, and now the Browns have three big names. Like if, if we're bargaining right now, right, and I'm Donovan Peoples Jones, and you say to me, "I'll pay you early," but I'm only paying you eight and a half, nine per year. To me, he was on the field in a ton of 12 personnel, some 11 where they just ignored the third receiver. That's not going to happen anymore. So he's probably going to see a cut in production largely because you're feeding three miles at wide receiver. And now they could uptick and throwing a little bit. I understand that. But I just don't think from Donovan's perspective, because what you're doing with your agent is framing it, right, Jack? You're framing it. What are my yards? What are my catches? What is that worth on the market? And if you say, hey, man, you're guaranteed to repeat that 890 whatever yard season, three touchdowns. He probably would say, "Okay, I'd get a little more, you know, maybe a few more touchdown catches. I'll, I'll put it off." But if I said, "Hey, man, your targets might dip by 15 percent," then you're just pushing to get back to where you were. I think he might be interested in a in a, in a cheaper ish deal. Now, I don't know. I'm not asking you to come up with comps, but that's something we could think about at the OBR. Is like the risk reward from DPJ's perspective 
of now with three receivers that are really going to be out there and playing a lot, does that make things a little tougher for him to get to the number he wants on the open market? It's food for thought. I think it's interesting, right? Yeah, and I'm happy paying him. Just in a long term, I'm happy to shift him to sort of being that number three. You pay him almost like Tyler Boyd is for the um, Bengals of that. He's he's the one with a little bit of money, but you've got cheaper guys ahead of that. And then you can't pay Elijah Moore now. He has to finish another rookie year before you can do a deal. So we could easily be sat here in a year's time where Cooper's going into his final year. We've already paid DPJ. And then you extend Elijah Moore and you're like, hey, we're set for the future. We've got this one last year of Amari. Good luck to him. He can go after that. And then this, it's a much softer transition. What happens in 25, Jack? You get your picks back. Yeah. You get your first round, you well, get your second round. Probably next round, year, you would then go yeah. really high in the draft and go, we're going to go get that wide receiver because you draft for next year's free agents. So if you know Cooper's yep. gone after 24, 24 draft, you go and pick a really high wide receiver and you prep for that. Yeah. And then at the same time, hey, David Bell would have come on, Woods would have come on, and you've got that development behind it. And if you're paying 10 million to um, DPJ, say you're paying 12, 13 million to Elijah Moore, well, it's the same money you're paying for Cooper, but you're getting two players out of that. And I think that's probably where they want to go. If you get a superstar, you pay that guy. But if they haven't got a superstar, get two really good guys. And I've always said, I would, in a way, I'd much rather have three really good, like number two quality wide receivers that you can do loads with, especially when you've got a great target in um, in Joku, because that just spreads it around. You might get the benefit of a number one during the season, but once you get to the playoffs, he's up against a number one corner. If they take that guy out of the game, well, what have you got left? If you've got three number twos, most teams haven't got three corners. The Browns have, but not many other teams. So that's the way where you can really yeah. force it on other teams. You love the mesh of a fun football player with upside, still has a lot to prove, hungry to prove it, and certainly contract flexibility, which was so paramount. And why we were entertaining the Jerry Judy idea as a serious play, because you know Jerry's in a similar position where he has the fifth-year option. He's got a couple cheap years. You still get those same two cheaper years now from Elijah Moore and you're just hoping he can find that next level here because if he does that contract the value of it and the timing of his next one is really really enticing so not to get too far out in front of things but it's always good to look ahead and I think this really helps everybody in the wide receiver room from a future perspective and and including the Browns with some of the angles we talked about there with uh with the potential swing it could have for DPJ's decision this offseason Jack always good stuff buddy we appreciate you go Browns more great stuff from Jack there. Two great guests talking about this player. I'm going to kind of wrap it up because I'm I'm a little bit into the film study now for this closing. And I, the, the Mike LaFleur situation, it's it's very easy to see why he was let go, right? He's got, he's got a lot of interesting ideas, I think some good concepts, but he was running really a system with the Jets that was not tailored for their quarterbacks, who they were putting on the field. And I just think that there was a misuse of the talent. I, I, I really do. I, I mean, I think that having Elijah Moore be a, a jet sweep guy and, and be pigeonholed into, um, I don't, you always kind of hesitate to give analysis on quarterback training, where their eyes should go and what their read should be. But I'm telling you, and I, I've just consumed two full games, he's open a lot. He's open a lot. Now, there's a lot of strong data that says he's 
He's really good against man coverage. Now, when you have Garrett Wilson, you've got a big body Corey Davis, maybe your quarterback is drawn to throwing some of those places. Or, you know, with Mike White, with Zach Wilson, with old Joe Flacco, you, you might not see uh, consistent decision-making there and eyes that go to the wrong places, certainly with Wilson. You know, I keep going back to looking at how they played him his rookie year. He only saw 93 slot snaps his entire rookie year. He was lined up wide. He had 233 wide snaps his rookie year. And in the way he was coming on in that rookie season where, again, I, I know I said it with Scott, but his stretch, man, from, from, from weeks 8 through 13 were of a player really ascending. And you could see it. Those were when the five touchdowns happened, his best games, his best outputs. And, and the data away from Zach Wilson is really, really, uh, it's really telling, right? Uh, that, that this could just be a massive quarterback ignorance issue. Now, some people will argue, as uh, there are stats out from ESPN Stats and Info about how only 13% of Morse targets um, were actually, you know, 13% of his routes led to targets. And a guy running over 400 routes, that was the most according to ESPN. Um, True True Media has it, and PFF have it a little different. It's still low, still really low for him. So, you know, if there's something that you could say, well, this is a really negative thing, target rate really is a way to tell who, you know, quarterbacks trust and who play callers trust to get them as the primary read and get the football in their hand. Um, now, I would argue that the Jets with Garrett Wilson, with Corey Davis, an established NFL veteran, um, and, and really still putting Denzel Mims out on the field a decent amount too, and the way they used uh, uh, more that that I, I just I have a hard time thinking that is telling the full story of who he is because, again, I'm just – like the first game I went through was Jets-Bills in 2022 up in New York and like – He's open all the time, and and if and if your offense is structured around not identifying a guy who's open, then I just, you know, I have a hard time thinking that that he can't figure it out in a place that can target him a lot. I've been pretty vocal that I think he's a better outside receiver than slot receiver. And you might ask, well, what does that mean? You know, how does he get used? Like because you you're naturally, logically thinking. Well, he should fill the slot. That's what the Browns need the most. Well, they have guys who can do other things. I mean, Amari Cooper can play anywhere. Giving Amari Cooper inside um, alignment with a two-way go is is dangerous for teams to cover. He can play the slot a good amount. Donovan Peoples-Jones can be a big slot who is a dynamic blocking player inside for a lot of your run game concepts, hopefully more gun-oriented but also be a nice tendency breaker for play action off of some of those run looks where he can be a middle-of-the-field, big-body slot type. So, like, I think that the fit is really good. There is reason to be concerned about some of the target percentage stuff because, um, you know, what what goes on there is more often than not, your your play caller will identify and go to call plays and your quarterback will decide – uh, who he should throw to based on who they want to get the ball to, right? I think that's fairly uh, a fairly obvious thing. And most people would push back and say quarterback and play caller. Well, I mean, you can have a bad quarterback but still get a lot of targets. I mean, what's up, Josh Gordon, with Brandon Whedon and Jason Campbell? Like, that can happen. So there's some stuff to sort out there, right, in terms of is he able to run routes, get targets, and convert routes to targets and targets to catches. He catches the football Really, really well. 
And I think that the agility stuff shows up on tape. He pops really, really effective routes. The stem of the routes, he attacks blind spots extremely well uh, for me. And he did that on college tape, too, where he has an idea of how he needs to lean or get his momentum or attack in an angle that turns the DB's hips and puts their head into a position where just for a split second, they're blind to what the receiver's doing. And then he has that feel for breaking it off and getting open. Now, the question is, can the Browns find routes, schemes, concepts that put him as a primary receiver and get him the football more because the Jets didn't and the counter still although the target percentage isn't great is that Mike LaFleur is was bad he was bad at it and he was what he was getting out of the quarterbacks there was atrocious and on top of all that the quarterbacks weren't very good and I'm telling you there's times where they just flat out don't see more and don't get him the football so can more be the question here is can more be a guy who, ironically enough, his athleticism score compared to and Brandon Cooks coming out of Oregon State, um, that's who more compared to athletically. Can he be the Brandon Cooks that we saw in 2020 for Deshaun Watson? I think he can, and I think that's a lot of what the Browns are trying to picture paint here is that he can do that, he can be that type of player. And I'm sure, I'm sure they talked to Deshaun about this. They sold it that way. Um, I don't know if he ever becomes a dynamic to low end one. I think the skill is there. I do think the skill is there to be a Pro Bowl player, a guy who pushes over a thousand yards. I think it's there. You're buying really low right now. And I think the Jets were even very hesitant, especially in season, uh, to sell this guy because they do believe there's talent. The Jets, again, as Scott said earlier, are in a very weird spot of trying to please Aaron Rodgers, bring in some of those guys he's connected to or potentially even gather more ammo to throw back to Green Bay to get this deal done. We'll see what the Jets do in the coming days and weeks leading up to the draft to get it done. But I don't think it's hard to see where either side is coming from with this trade. The Jets saying a guy was never happy here, we can get something out of this, potentially replace him with a version of him, not as good, but a version of him and Nicole Hardman, an angle towards getting the capital needed for Aaron Rodgers and whatever they need to put around him. I see it from their side, and I see it from the Brown side. And I'm not telling you which way to lean. I'm just telling you, though, if your box score scouting more, you're missing it. I wish he could have finished that rookie year because there was a real stride being taken. And then whatever the hell they decided to do with him in 22, I think that that is why he got so frustrated. It is out of nowhere uh, the role he's playing, which is so, uh, I think, limiting to a guy like him and what he can do. I understand why he went off the deep end and demanded the trades and potentially cussed out the coordinator, all that came with it. Um, he's, he's, I think, in my opinion, based on the talent, has a right to be frustrated. You don't want your guys to handle it that way, and that's another part of the inherited risk here is how he handled it. But, again, to me, this risk, I totally understand, and it doesn't also cripple your salary cap in the future and you can consistently stay on track of the picks you had. So I just think it's a really wise gamble from the Browns. You see these types of things happen all the time. I mean, look at what Kansas City did getting Kadarius Toney. I think I think it's a very similar move. You're betting on upside development and playing him in an offense that will focus more on putting him in alignments that benefit him and his skill set and with far better quarterback play as we all presume Deshaun Watson will get back on track. If they get this right, he's 23 this year, 
He's about to turn 23 uh, in four days. If they get this right, this is a humongous deal for the future of the wide receiver room. So film room coming up tomorrow, hopefully by lunchtime or more. A lot of stuff to break down, a lot of clips to put together. But that's it in a nutshell. So hopefully you enjoyed Scott's side of things from covering him with the Jets and Jack's perspective on the salary cap and the flexibility it it, it lends the Browns, uh, particularly their wide receiver room moving forward. That's it for today, guys. I appreciate you stopping by. We will continue to analyze this thing and get a bit more focused on some of the lower scale signings here in the coming days. We don't think the Browns are done. We think there's a couple more moves they need to be making in free agency to sort of cap this whole thing off in the month of March uh, or April here before the draft, but exciting stuff. Check out the OBR again tomorrow uh, where I put what would be today for you listening uh, on March 23rd here as I'm recording this late at night. Uh, An interesting perspective. We have not even looked at what players are available at 74 in some of these simulators. So I put up uh, several different positions and the picks you could make at pick 74. So check that out. If you're interested in seeing some new names uh, and, and who could be potentially picked at that spot for positions of need. So again, thanks for being here and supporting the OBR Film Breakdown. You know it means the world to me. Guys, have a fantastic Thursday. Go Browns. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.